Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. We do know where inflation is at the moment. Mm -hmm. We do know what's happening with it. Yep. So, yes, first one, fix a number, Mm -hmm. but after that, Keep it variable because yeah. the data we're getting strongly suggests that there will be a drop down in inflation yeah. mid to late 2023, 2024. And what mm. you don't want to be doing is building your base. Yes, that's right. So you did 5, 5 and 5, it's actually 18.3%. It's yes. not 15% yes. on base. That's right. So just remember that that's something that comes out of that. New South Wales Labor which will never be elected in the pink fit, no matter how hard the Oh, it must be election season, though. <laughs> it is election season, yeah. but they're unelectable. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Even with the Liberal Party losing everyone for corruption and everything, oh, they're goodness. still unelectable. Yeah. Yeah. But they do say that they're going to address the gig economy. But classically with New South Wales, mm. they try and pin it to anachronistic piece of legislation, yeah. like yeah. the contracts of carriage, which is a piece of legislation that an employer has never won in. I just want to say that very slow. A piece of legislation that an employer has never won against a contractor. Yes. So this is people who say, you've terminated me and I own a truck, I drive for myself, and then they go and get a redundancy payment, which is massive. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. for reasons that only Labor will understand, they're mm. trying to say that's where the gig economy lives. And yeah. I think the Productivity Commission came and said it today. Mm. They said, look, this has to be a federal response. This is mm-hmm. a new and evolving area of engagement. Mm-hmm. And these simplistic solution around the deliveries, the food and alcohol deliveries, yep. is not actually where the gig economy is going to go. No. It needs a more sophisticated response. Yes. So we've got three states, Western Australia, Victoria and Queensland. Yes, that's, I think that's that's right, right. Say, Who yeah. publish slightly different versions of what they're going to do. We'll keep you across that as it becomes material. But the New South Wales response is predictably like a dog going back to its vomit. Yeah, they're calling it modernising, but again, it's the same problem we've been talking about for weeks. Like going back to an 80-year-old That's right, sitting the old uh, yeah. laws around it. All right, now what we're going to do is look at the new contractor legislation. You've had Matt talk a number of times about personal contracting in Jamson. Yeah. That's the right name. Personal like, contracting in Jamson. Yeah, yeah got the right. Cases. Yeah. 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 Where the High Court looked at 60 or 70 years' worth of jurisprudence around what is a contractor and what is an employer and what is a casual worker and what mm. is a permanent worker. And yep. what they said is very simple. They said you look to the time of the contracting to determine what is the relationship. Mm-hmm. And in the absence of a contract, mm-hmm. then a written contract, a written, yeah. a written contract. Yeah. In the absence of a written contract, what you then do is look at the behaviour of the parties based on the balancing of the various factors. Mm-hmm. Do they have control? Do they not have control? Mm-hmm. Are they wearing livery? What yep, all those yep. sort of the things. multifactorial? Yes, yeah. yeah. Now that's all very well, but unfortunately, our Fair Work Commission has really struggled and developed a rather literal and simplistic mm. model, and as a result, made it infinitely more complex. That's right. Yeah, the whole idea is sort of at the heart of what sat in personnel contracting and JAMSEC was a view by the court that we need to simplify this. It's gotten beyond what a court should be doing, trying to work out what a relationship is. We're all about determining rights and obligations formed at law at the time of contract being created. But what we're seeing is a lot of hyperfixation on the word written, <laughs> the one word in this test from the High Court. And what we're really seeing is the Fair Work Commissioners, uh, when they don't have something in writing, 
really not knowing where to go. And lack, sort of, lack the wit and make up their own stuff. Well, that's right. So yeah. don't say that. No, you I won't. No, you'll say that. Yeah, so look, we've right, got yeah. two examples. Yep. One where nobody can find the contract. Yep, yep. And second, where they seek to import a notion of contract into it to mm. try and fix the problem in the absence yep. of a written contract. So the first the first case is Helped Helped in Top, top of the Town, which is yeah. a sex worker case mm. where she was came to work at a, at a registered brothel they gave her some policies, they yep. gave her a written contract yep. at the time of her departure, which was an argument around health and safety, yep. and they said, look, no more shifts for you, yep. I've been unfairly dismissed, mm-hmm. and nobody could find the written contract. No. And so the court said, look, in the absence of a written contract, mm. signed. Signed, signed. Yeah. Well, well, I don't even think they could lead evidence of what the actual policy document was. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, you know, there's a lot of law called Mass and Cameron said, yep. you don't need it to be signed if you've got exactly. evidence of approval. Yep. Yep. Clearly didn't know that law then went on to say, well, in the absence of that, then I'll look at the behaviour of the parties. Yeah. And, and Matt and I will just look at you like this and go, mm. really? Mm-hmm. Dumb decision. But it gets worse. We've then got Muller and Timbercom, which Timbercom. is a ph- yeah. photographer, photographer who they requested to undertake some work. Yeah. Did yep. that work in a particular way, which yep. was videoing working tools. That's right. Yep, yep. Eventually departed and the argument was, was, was it a contractor? Or was it an employee? Yep. And what they did is they said, well, there was a sort of oral contract. Yeah. And so they got caught in this notion mm. where there was no evidence of that oral contract. Yeah. And so they said, well, there were these discussions and he agreed to work. That's called quantum merit. That's a, that's a piece of 400-year-old yeah. law, whereas if I say to Matt, can you come and clean my house? Yeah. Matt says it'll cost you $6 an hour. Mm. And that's not a contract. That's yeah. Matt doing work at my request. That's okay? right. It's, it really seems to be the tribunal trying to, you know, retrofit the situations that they're dealing with to try to fit it into the other elements of the test that aren't the word. Yeah, because they're so scared of what the high court yeah. says. It's yeah. the only lens they wear. That's right. Yeah, 60 to 70 years of jurisprudence, as you said, out the window. It's hard for anyone to adjust, but we're really seeing some adjustment issues, I think. So the difficulty, I think, in all these cases, the lack of good legal representation has allowed people who are not highly skilled as yeah. lawyers in the commission to yeah. formulate views which are based on a simplistic model, which is actually the law is more complex. Yeah. The answer for everyone is to have good contract documents. Yeah, good document management. And, again, you know, it's something I'm sort of consistently saying to everyone now, personnel contracting at GMSEC, the best protection you can have to determine whether someone's employee or contractor detailed, comprehensive, written document that covers everything you can possibly think of. And can I say the same with casuals? That's very true, very true, Andy. But the difficulty is, of course, for many of our small and medium-sized businesses, no HR, no document management support. It's easy for these things to become difficult. These are all small businesses. They are. So anyway, that's that. Let's get get past that. Now, Matt's typical, Matt, he's, yeah. dug, he's dug a case up, <laughs> and this is what I call a crocodile case. Right? Yeah, 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 I like your description of that. This but, morning. Matt, just hard for you, briefly. Yes. Social origin is a protected attribute under yep. two pieces of legislation, mm-hmm. Fair Work Act Yep. and under the Australian... Um, yeah, the, the federal discrimination. discrimination. Yeah. It's also under some of the state-based ones yep. too. Yep. So not in every jurisdiction. No. But the important part is social origin has never been properly defined no, in any legislation. It's entirely undefined in every It's identified under the ILO, the International yep. Labor Organisation, which yep. talks about caste, class. Class, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did this donkey and their lawyers do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well, yeah, look, it's a really interesting one. So worked for Bunnings, <laughs> employed at Bunnings. <laughs> Bunnings found out a few years into his employment that he t- that he had been successfully had a claim brought against him successfully for sexual harassment, huge damages payout, almost half a million dollars in damages. So pretty serious, significant sexual harassment. He's terminated by Bunnings for saying, "Look, that 
that is not in alignment with our values. And the discussion for another day, by the way, well, about the legitimacy of that. That's fair. But this was not the answer. No, yet. and the employee tried to argue that they had a particular social origin as someone who had sexually harassed someone before. And so, do you want to be known in that group of people? No. Sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, there's eight of us in this room and we're yeah. all sexual harassment yeah, and right. you're treating us differently. Yeah, dare you. It's, uh, <laughs> Shocking, you Yeah, really. and thankfully, of course, the court <laughs> just said After they no, picked themselves yeah. up off the floor. Yeah, and that's said, right. Yeah. Can all sexual harassers leave yeah. the room? <laughs> <laughs> but why is this a crocodile case? Well, yeah, I think it's it's because <laughs> crocodiles yeah. are big, ugly animals. Okay, yeah. yeah. But you can strip them and yeah. you can turn them into the best shoes. Yeah, I think yeah. This is a plaintiff law win. Yeah, let's it would use, be argued you, differently. Yeah. yeah, let's use the Andrew Thornburn, member of a church. Mm. He comes to the Essendon Football Club. He's properly instructed by a lawyer <laughs> and he says, I will honour the values and the systems of this club and I will respect it and I will advocate it. <laughs> yes, I do hold some personal beliefs, but they will hold no part in my role. <laughs> and then they say, no, we can't have you because you're a member of that church. <laughs> okay, social origin. Yep. Now, yep. that is a plan. We're probably telling plaintiff lawyers something they haven't thought about. In fact, they're not <laughs> running that. And Falula and all those cases yeah. didn't run this argument <laughs> and it was alive then too. That's right. That's right. So when I talk about a crocodile case, I say we've got a clumsy, ugly piece of law, which yeah. is not very good, no. very hard to understand what it is. But there is now a number of academic authors who talk mm. about stigmatisation as yeah. a class. That's right. And stigmatisation could be seen as belonging to a Pentecostal church with extreme views. Yep. And the fact that you don't personally hold those but mm. are a member of that church mm-hmm. means you can't be judged by the mm. views of the church yep. simply because that's a stigmatised club. Yeah. So yeah. I think really interesting. Yeah. I think so. But that's because I'm telling yeah. you the story. I think it's really interesting. <laughs> Very quick one because we're running late on this because Matt and I got a bit excited downstairs. Is, yeah. <laughs> there is a terrific recklessness case comes. Now, you've heard me say before that when an officer in an organisation or a supervisor in an organisation is aware of a psychological hazard like there are one or more bullies working in the place, mm. you've heard complaints about it and your view is you'll go out and do some training. Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's it. Yeah. And had you have dug deeper, had you been more thoughtful of it, because you haven't seen it, but you know it's out there, okay, and you know it's a risk, you would have realised it's actually very profound and serious, mm-hmm. and then you have some very significant injury that arises out of it. Yep. That's actually recklessness, but yeah. it's more better illustrated by a simple one, oh, which is goodness. this most recent case. Oh, my goodness, yes. So it's a bit yes. case. Employee, six metres up in the air, on the scaffolding, laughing around with people that he can hear down below him, Gets a cinder block, doesn't look, assumes that no one's around it, throws it off the side so of the scaffold. That's a six kilogram six, concrete yeah, block. That's right. And of course, he throws it, a, a young apprentice walks into the way, strikes the apprentice in the head, really serious injury to them, is found to be reckless. I mean, it's, yeah. it's clever. Four, four months jail, which was yeah, suspended. But suspended the point about sentence. it is, when he threw it, there was no one there. Yeah. He didn't see anyone, so he wasn't yeah. intentionally doing it. No. But it no. goes to the very heart of recklessness. recklessness yeah. We know that mental health mm. is a high risk, okay? Mm. Mm. We know that throwing cinder blocks off a six-metre roof, yeah. very high risk. Yeah. Objectively and subjectively, yeah. should have known it was a risk, yeah. And therefore, by being careless, not knowing it, mm. but knowing it could exist, yeah. he went and did something. So That's do you see the parallel? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so close. So yeah. I think it's a really good case. Absolutely. I'm going down here. It's the alcohol-related injury. Yeah, Yeah, alcohol-related injury. Now, this is, for Kim, probably the exciting one in some ways. Matt, we talk about this all the time, Mm. that when are you part of work? Yeah. And remember, all workplace legislation is beneficial, so it treats the employee in a more protective way than it does does the employer. It does. And this is a case where somebody went to a function. Yeah. 
the function was one approved yeah. approved yeah. by work by yeah. the boss. It was actually the boss's place, I think. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. It had a spa. That's right. They provided alcohol. It was paid for. Paid yeah. for. They were effectively directed to go. They, they were encouraged yeah. when they were there. Yep. They were even given directions about their own safety while they were there. That's right. That's person right. got drunk, fell over, hurt their ankle in the spa. Yeah. And or directed to get out of the spa yeah, by the, the boss by and the then boss. slipped and hurt themselves. Yeah. So the issue is really there are two tests of workers' compensation. Does it arise during your employment or during the course of your yeah, employment? Yeah, the and the course of yeah. the employment is a connection to work mm. which comes through the authorisation and the condemnation or the acceptance yep. of particular behaviours. Yep. So this function could have easily not been during the course. Yes. Simply by people saying, look, I'm happy to come it's got nothing to do with the work. We're yep. just having a celebration. Yep. A clear delineation yep. between something in writing. Yep. Yeah. This function is on. It's been organised by someone else in the office. It's not work approved. You know, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So on and so forth. Okay. All the things that we're missing. Anyway, and we're going to deal with that much more next week with Kim. We're going to talk about some other issues around it. But I want yep. you to understand it is a big issue because in discrimination law and all other sorts mm. of law, it looks slightly different when the employee brings a claim compared to when you're trying to discipline a person right. for misbehaving. Absolutely. Okay. Now let's get into the heart of what oh, we have a lot of news there. We well, got a lot of news. We've we only got six minutes left. Oh, there you go. And luckily we are because we're talking yeah. about the risks around reinstatement. As Matt said, the primacy of litigation, mm. that is, the first thing a court looks to do is to see whether they can reinstate yeah, somebody who's been yeah. unfairly It's clear it's in the legislation, unfair dismissal. And what we've seen recently is a series of cases about mm. reinstatement where people have just been stupid. Yeah, I think that's right. And it ties into the zero tolerance because what we're really seeing in these decisions is it's employers making a very classic mistake but having much more significant consequences from this more recent trend, which is, look, the error is don't just blindly apply a set of rules without taking into consideration the specific circumstances and context of the person to whom you're applying them. So that zero tolerance approach, having whatever it might be, where we, we don't tolerate violence, we don't tolerate, you know, everyone has to be vaccinated, whatever it might be, applying those blindly and then ignoring, and that's something that's consistent between these decisions we're seeing, basically ignoring the explanation given to you by the person to whom you try to apply that zero tolerance approach will entirely undermine the validity of your reason and, importantly, will wound the person that you've terminated, but in a way where you cannot demonstrate that what they have done has actually broken the trust and confidence. Okay, and here's the, here's the yeah. key concept. Mm. You don't have to reinstate someone where you have evidence which is both just mm. and reasonable. Yep. In other words, it's you're right yep. and the gravity of the situation is such yep. that you can never put the person back in the workplace. That's right. That's okay, right. because you can never trust them not to do it again or create the same risk. Yep. So that's that's how you stop reinstating. Mm -hmm. Let me just I'm gonna I'll run through a couple of cases and I'll I'll let Matt go crazy. Yeah, okay? sure. <laughs> so we've got brass and yarrow trams, whereas a guy who jokingly brought his knee up, he, he touched one guy once, got a bit of a warning, didn't touch another guy, and no one complained, okay? Mm. But tram people got pretty upset about it, so they mm. sacked him. Yeah. But nobody complained. No. And, and so what the court said is actually no one's complained. Yeah. You were saying it's very serious, but no one's complained. That's right. So there's no risk putting the person back. Dumb. Okay, that's, that's number one, dumb, <laughs> dumb, okay? Then we've got Miller Bates and the State of Victoria Police. That's where the police alleged misconduct by a person misusing police assets and mm -hmm. breaching police rules, mm -hmm. and they were wrong. 
it was actually a complaint, an IBAC complaint. It was having a sexual relationship with her husband. Mm-hmm. She found out about it. Was it was also a police officer. Was also, yeah. yeah, by the yeah. way, and a police officer yeah. and a bed partner. Mm-hmm. And she went and rang them. Yeah. And it wasn't to do anything like give her a heads up or find out. It was she's up distressed as wife. Yeah, it's upset. And so the court looked at them and said, well, everything you've said is not true. So I'm going to reinstate because I'm not going to let you treat her like this. Yeah. yeah. It's a very powerful judgment criticising the police, actually. Yeah, it was, actually. So really that was a fun one. Yeah. Then there's Longsden and Surfside bus yeah, lines, yeah. which is perhaps the worst decision I've read in about four years. Yeah, yeah. Let me just, I want to oh, no, I'll let you do the facts yeah, on this so, one, Andrew. I so, know you were passionate about well, the underground. Queensland <laughs> and man, mandates you had to wear a mask. On a bus, on, on public transport. Public yeah. transport. The, public tra- the Surfside said to everybody, to their employees, look, don't you try and enforce this. This is a responsibility of the person. We don't want to be involved in enforcement. Well, <laughs> that's called aiding and betting a crime. Anyway, they yeah. said that. Yeah. So let's talk about the law. Is She says someone gets on a bus, they won't wear a mask, she tells them they abuse her, she stops the bus and asks them to get off. Yeah. The decision doesn't deal with actually what the law is, which is the law is she was quite right to stop yeah. the bus yep. and tell the person to get off mm. because she was protecting both safety and mm. enforcing a mandate. Yeah. Their direction not to do it was an unlawful direction. Mm. So, therefore, they could never win this case mm. if it was actually argued properly or heard properly yeah, yeah. because it was an unlawful, not a reasonable direction. Mm. Therefore, they could never terminate. That's right. And she was always doing the lawful thing as required by yeah, law. Yeah, Unfortunately, right. the court didn't address those, obviously. No, no, not at all. Didn't actually get down into that. Um, and, look, thankfully. Legal basis. No, I mean, yeah, I mean <laughs> it would have been, again, and, and look, one of the consistent things through a lot of these cases is that there's not a presence, they're unrepresented applicants. So, of course, they're not running it around the lawful and reasonable direction aspect, but that would have been the key element of this case. I mean, the commissioner got there in a different way anyway, which was to say that, well, actually, irrespective of this whole thing about the masks part and whether a direction about it was lawful or not, the swearing that the um, passenger did towards the bus driver was sufficient to justify her actions to stop the bus. To uh, can I just say, can anyone smell law in that? Mm. No. Okay, look, the next no. one is reinstatement. Yeah, so we had an interesting one in, in the anti-vax context. So... What we had really had. You're not allowed to call them cookies. You told me that. No, it was, it was cooker. Stop cookies. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I only learned that. Cookies. That's a social origin risk. I mean, I think you should. I mean, they have. No, 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 no. Either way. So in this one, it was very interesting because that an employee was a Northern Territory firefighter on leave before the mandate came into place. Mandate comes into place while they're on leave on a really extended period of leave. Responds to the email that they get saying you've got to send us the back certificate, and he says, "Well, look, up doesn't actually say in the email that he is or isn't unvaccinated." He said, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm happy to confirm my vaccination status, but I'm on leave. Are you directing me back to work, or what's the situation here?" And again, zero tolerance sort of approach here. They don't actually deal with what he says at all. They just go, "You haven't provided it in time." They terminate his employment. So by the time it goes through the commission, when it comes to the question of reinstatement, one. The commission says, well, this wasn't actually a valid reason. You know, I mean, yes, you, the mandate was in force, but you didn't actually ask this guy to come back to the workplace. Uh, and two, you just entirely ignored what he had to say. And now the mandate's not in place. So I reinstated. And he was vaccinated anyway. There you go. Yeah. So those four cases we gave you yeah. show that people who do stupid things yeah. fail to get it right yeah. and then continue to prosecute a dumb case. That's Went yeah. up with reinstatement. Yeah. Does that help yeah. you? Because that's how it works. Yeah, I think that's the key part. Yeah, and then look, and it ties back into the zero tolerance because 
if you're doing it in a dumb way and you're doing it in a dumb way consistently you get it wrong. everyone and you get it and wrong. you're going to keep getting it wrong so let's just tidy up you know zero tolerance can work where yeah. it's what's called the golden rule that's right yeah so that gets over harshness it gets over yes. if there is yeah. such a profound risk in a business mm. and you say look this is a golden rule mm. You will not mm. work unharnessed on yeah. heights. That's right. Okay? Golden yeah. rule. Safety. And so then you go and train everybody and you explain yep. why that's the case. Mm-hmm. You explain the level of risk. And on a regular basis, you re-communicate it yep. and you deal with it aggressively on every mm-hmm. occasion mm-hmm. comes up, mm-hmm. irrespective of who the person is. Mm-hmm. Then you're not going to have this fight because mm-hmm. it is a golden rule built on rock, yeah. not sand. And I think <laughs> using a rock and sand example, that's why in the Logston Surfside um, bus company one, it was literally written in whiteboard marker on a whiteboard to say, don't enforce the mask mandate. So a really good example of the difference in golden rule. Okay, so let's jump on now to the case study. Excellent. And Matt probably not read this, so it's going to be exciting for him. Yes. I'm going to read it. We're reading it together. Giles was a fitness trainer at Upper Gym. There was no doubt the selection process for trainers was based on how physically fit and attractive they were, and Giles was no exception. He worked three mornings and two afternoons a week. He had a signed casual employment agreement in 2021. The contract allowed personal leave and rights under the NES attributable to permanent employees. HVG ran a social function during the school holidays for their trainers and favourite clients. It involved all you could drink and eat and swimming in the pool and spa. The event was held on a weekend. Nobody who came to the event was a weekend trainer or client. At 10pm on Saturday night, the event had been going on for six hours and everyone was intoxicated. People started jumping in the pool in various stages of undress. As Giles emerged from the pools in tiny speedos, he saw a client, Jenny, who he really struggled with. She always complained, never trained, and breached the diets they agreed on. Jenny really fancied Giles, and as he approached, she went over to him, pizza in hand. She hugged him, kissed him, and with her pizza lips, and groped his genitals. Giles pushed her away and told her she was fat, ugly, B-word, who wasted her money, only Andrew and Kim could swear on the briefing, and wasted her money going to the gym. Jenny burst into tears and left immediately. The owner of HBG, Ness, saw what happened. She took Giles aside, took him to go home and arranged the taxi for him. I told him to go home, sorry. Giles had never been sexually harassed, but it seemed funny to others. Social media went wild overnight and there was even a video posted on Facebook of Giles being groped with the heading, she hasn't got a hot body with smiley emojis. By the next day, all the posts and texts had gotten to him. When he came into work, he was greeted with a cheer, but Ness soon got a hold of him. One of HVG's core messages was, we make our clients and staff feel beautiful always, and part of Giles' role was to educate and lead staff around these messages. She went through a procedurally fair process and said, after talking to him, you can't be a brand ambassador and say that, you're fired. There we go. Excellent. I hope you've locked in your answers because here we go. If Giles brought an unfair dismissal claim, could he succeed? Now, really good question because mm. the first question is mm. a jurisdictional argument that's going to be raised by the hot body gym yes. is what well, wasn't an employment place. He weren't in employment, so there's a jurisdiction. Yeah, you well, he was, he was a casual employee. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, two things, and it, wasn't impl- and it wasn't a work function. Oh, sorry, yes. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. Andrew, yes. So not yeah. work and you're yeah. casual. Yeah. So the answers to those matter. Well, yes, well, one, he it was likely a regular and systematic casual because he worked the same three shifts in two days and there were some indications in the contract of the personal leave, et cetera. But the work function point, I mean, it was a set up by work 
Everyone was told to be there. Employees, clients, both there as well. Didn't matter that it sort of happened on a weekend, even though that was potentially within the working hours because of the weekend trainers who were otherwise actually training people at that time. All of those factors say that it was something that happened in the course of employment and has the sufficient section. Now we've got the start, so the jurisdictional argument fails. So then we go, was there a valid reason? Yeah, well, that's the trickier part here. I mean, look, the conduct in terms of swearing and posting the stuff on on social media. Sorry, that's right. So the thing about the swearing, the disrespectful nature of the comments to the client in isolation. Is it certainly a valid reason? Certainly a valid reason. So you've got reason. past the threshold. That's right. Then you're into the next three tests. Yeah, that's right. Harsh, unjust or unreasonable in this circumstance. Yep. I mean, really the point is going to be looking at the context in which that behaviour occurred where the individual sexually assaulted him is certainly going to be a factor that the Commission would look at to say. It goes both to reasonable and justice. That's right. That's and right. So fairness is, is okay. We're not yep. so bad and the harshness doesn't really yeah. play a part. The issue mm. is... It's actually not reasonable. No. Someone attacks you and you respond. Yeah. Always there's going to be giving. And yeah. it's actually not just to look at it in mm. isolation. That's right, which is what they've done here. They yeah. failed to consider it. So, yeah, he would succeed. Yeah. That's my view. I think so. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. If he did succeed, could he be reinstated? Yeah, well, look again, I mean, to the cases that we talked about, assuming that there could be some actually good, convincing, objective evidence that showed that pragmatically someone who had so verbally and publicly undermined a customer could not be back in the workplace because there would be a high chance that that would occur again. I think there might be an argument that would prevent the reinstatement. But But the argument that would win every time Mm. is that they fail to provide him a safe workplace. Well, that's right, exactly. So how can they say it's, it's, it's the whole uh, discussion we're having in the green room, Andrew, yeah. which is that it's actually the inverse of the trusted confidence. It yeah. would be quite like it, quite open to the employee, to Giles, to say, well, I can't trust, I have no trusted confidence in, in my employer, in yeah. HPG. In, you want, in me, to, want me to be this ambassador, you yeah. want me to lead, and then you put up mm-hmm. a circumstance which is contrary to it. That's right. And that's then you right. place me at risk. Yeah. And when I respond angrily and I'm hurt and damaged, yep. you say, I can't come back. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, so I exactly. think there's a high likelihood reinstatement would I think so, yeah. I don't think the objective evidence is there. I agree. Could Giles make a successful workers' compensation claim? Yes. Yeah. As the short answer yeah. is definitely in the course of employment. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Could Giles bring a successful discrimination and or general protections claim? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at the nature of the conduct, it's gendered conduct in terms of her actions towards him. A comparator test, if it was at the federal level, would say that, the way he was treated because of that behaviour would perhaps be different had it been the other way around to a comparator of a female employee and a yes. male client. Yep. And the same then in terms of the context of the general protections claim. I mean, effectively, he reacted, made a complaint even, if you wanted to put it that way, because of the behaviour he was subjected to. And then there was his employment was terminated for that reason. Yeah, I think you'd have a great general yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah. need plaintiff work, but even I'd be happy to run that one. Yeah, oh, my goodness, can you imagine? Geez, the <laughs> media right up thinking about it, Andrew, too. They'd be interviewing on the steps of the Supreme Court in no time. Now, next week you've got Killer Kim. Yes, that's right. She's back. Yeah. Language, arms. Yeah, she's that's right. Be back. Every swear you can possibly think of, potentially. Who so, knows? By the yeah. way, what we're doing next week, before you start telling us how good we are by putting hands yeah, and waving, please, please, please react. Give us all is, your likes. We are going to deal with absenteeism next week, yes. both under workers' compensation and employment law. Yeah. You've got to come to it. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, excellent. So and thanks you won't for see tuning me. in. No, Andrew, I'll be here. Thanks for tuning in. See you later, please guys. Please like and respond. Thanks very much.